0: Hi, my name's Lloyd, Um, I'm one of the pastors here, welcome, it's good to see you here this morning um, on this uh, stat holiday weekend. We're glad that you're here, that you're enjoying beautiful BC, uh, but here and not elsewhere, so we're glad that you're here. Why don't I pray for us and then we'll begin this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good, that your love endures forever, thank you that you've revealed yourself um, in, your, in your word, uh, the living word who is alive and, and reigns, but your written word that you've passed down uh, through the generations to us, that we hold in our hands in our, in our pockets, in our minds that we can know uh, that you speak to us that you want to speak to us and you want to reveal yourself to us. And so we ask that you to do that this morning by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're going through a series through Luke. It's taking some time. Uh, We are in chapter 13. And last week um, in our family service, and it was a beautiful family service, uh, Ross uh, was preaching to us um, and talking about the kingdom. And next week, we're we're grateful that actually Ross comes back to preach on the end of chapter 13. And so my sandwich is kind of sandwiched in between his two passages. Or should I say hot-dogged? Uh, he's talked a lot about enjoying hot dogs. And so I guess if he's the bread, uh, then I'm the kind of sausage or the hot part of the dog. And next week, he's going to bring the ketchup, the relish, the sauerkraut, and of course, the mustard as well. and um, Topped off with a bit of a bow tie probably as well, right? He talked about hot dogs a lot. Um, he was speaking the language of many of our souls uh, particularly that of my son, and you can tell that's why he's lived in Canada for so long now, he loves his hot dogs. <laughs> One of the benefits of preaching through a book of the Bible is to be able to see how the passages kind of build on each other, and today we're continuing to look actually at the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? Jesus asked in the passage last week, and he uses uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast to show that the kingdom of God is surprising, it's pervasive, is uncontrollable and unexpected. And so what are we to do with a kind of unexpected kingdom? Isn't that the point? It's like unexpected. So how do we handle it? How do we deal with it? How do we expect what's to come? One way is to try to figure out who's who. Who's in and who's out. And so the question that begins our passage, that comes at the near the beginning, says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And so before looking at this question, it's worth realising where we are told that Jesus is heading. He is teaching and he is making his way to Jerusalem, it says at the beginning of our passage. And we're told um, that at various points in Luke, I think the last time we were told was in chapter 9, but uh, Luke, the writer, wants us to know this is where he's headed. Through all this teaching, through all that's going on, he's heading to Jerusalem. That's where he's been headed all along. And that helps us to to realise who he's speaking to here. This is not an apologetics debate on the scope of salvation with two detached scholars in armchairs and in suits. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, uh, where it's the religious centre of Israel. You see, there's a pattern in the Bible that it's worth us uh, considering now. There's an order, you could say. First to the Jews and then to the world. First to the Jews, and then to the world, to the nations. And it was part of the original plan. Through Abraham and his descendants, God was to bless the nations. The blessing was to Abraham, and through him, to the whole world. But it doesn't pan out like this, does it? It does in moments, in fits and spurts. Israel shines well in pockets of time, but Israel's task remains unfinished. So Jesus comes at this in-between, this confusing time for Israel. Instead of seeking to bless the nations, the people of Israel are torn. They are oppressed by the Romans, divided by purity laws, and questions about what will happen in the final days. Instead of blessing the nations, they are bickering with themselves. Instead of being a light to the nations, the temple in Jerusalem will be burned down in only a few decades' time. This is the context of Jesus heading to Jerusalem it's also the context of our passage as well because as we go back in chapter 13 we remember that there was a parable of a fig tree do you remember that one Phil preached on on that one there was a fruitless fig tree that the owner wanted to cut down but the farmer says give it one more chance give it one more year I'll do all I can dig around it and fertilize it Let's see how it does for one more year. Just give it one more chance. If it bears fruit next year, then fine. If not, then we'll cut it down. Jesus is here to give one more chance. By his coming, by his teaching, by his patience, by his entreating, by his going to Jerusalem, he's giving them one more chance. And then after the, the, the fig tree, the fruitless fig tree, we have the woman in the synagogue. She's been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, we're told and Jesus heals her on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, who are concerned with these purity laws, we want to be more pure so that the God will come and ultimately rescue us. They're indignant, the Pharisees. How do you do this on a Sabbath? Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus calls her the daughter of Abraham. She's the one who is representing what Israel uh, was supposed to do, the faith of Abraham. His kingdom was for people like her. This lady who'd been bent over for 18 years uh, suddenly rises through faith in Christ, through Jesus uh, healing her, and the kingdom is for people like her, not the religious elite. Interesting. And then he talks about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like, Jesus asks. And he uses the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast to show that that it is surprising, pervasive, uncontrollable, and unexpected. So I ask the question again, what are we to do with an unexpected kingdom? Well, Luke presents a question that Jesus has asked. Lord, are only a few going to be saved? And Jesus replies, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. He turns the question back on the person asking the question. In fact, all the people who are listening, he says to them, you all make Every effort to enter through the narrow door. So, who's in the kingdom? Who gets to be saved? Jesus answers with this illustration of a door and a picture of a feast. So, he gives an illustration with this door and he talks about this feast. So, let's look at the door. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know who you are or where you are from. The unexpected thing about this door is that it is more narrow than we would have expected. And it closes earlier than we would expect. The thing about doors is that it's the first thing that that people see. I used to be a paper boy when I was uh, growing up, when I was 10, and so the front doors would uh, hold a lot of uh, fear or or ease for me. If they've got a big uh, uh, post uh, letter box thing, um, those big newspapers would go through easily. But if it didn't, you'd have to scrunch it through, you'd have to kind of bend it through, they would lose half the newspaper in the process. Uh, How they presented, how the door uh, was um, impacted me as a paper boy. It affects how we see doors and people's homes, isn't it? And when we moved into our place where we've been now, thankfully for, for a while, um, paint was peeling off a bit. Miriam, that was the first thing she did, was to paint the door a lovely teal colour, which is much more welcoming than what it was before. I, so I'm told. Imagine coming round to our place and the door is, is super narrow. You have to take your bag off. Really, you have to take your jacket off. You have to kind of slide in like this. You'd only be able to go one at a time. It would take forever for our community group to leave our house. No, you go first. No, no, no I'll go. You, no, you go first. Oh, will you pass my bag? Um, oh, no, I left my Tupperware inside. We'll have to get someone else to go get it because I'm already through. It would be a nuisance. It's hard. You don't flow out easily. It reminds me of the turnstiles at the old football stadium. In the UK where it was designed only to let one person in at a time, so people could not bring their friend or their child uh, with just one ticket. The narrowness prevented more than one person getting in at once. It stops you also bringing in huge bags with you of weapons or, or drinks. The door here is narrower than we might think. We might wish the door was bigger, it'd be easier but it requires effort to get there, to make it in. You can't come with others. You can't bring anything with you. Your ego, your status, your wealth, your heritage, none of these things can be brought in with you. And so he's saying to the Jewish people who are listening here, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about being physically descended from Abraham and being part of his lineage um, purely through genetics. He's saying, Look at this daughter of Abraham who has faith. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. It's not a door that you accidentally go in. You must decide to enter in. The door is open from the, the inside, but but only we can enter from the outside. You won't get swept in with a crowd. There's no family pass. There's no group discount code. There's no denominational group entry. It's just us. And we decide, do we enter in? It's open, but it's narrow. It requires effort. The door is narrow, but it also closes. One commentary called this the narrow door of urgency. It's open for all, but there's a time when it closes for good. It's an open door, but there's a time limit. Once it's closed... It's closed. Now, this is hard to hear, particularly in a city where everyone keeps their options open. Have you noticed this? When you invite people to do something in Vancouver, we live in a a city where um, people say yes to invitations, but so long as something better doesn't come along in the meantime. We like to keep our options open. It's such a beautiful place with such beautiful people but something much more beautiful might come along. So yes, I'll probably see you there. Maybe. (laughs) Jesus says himself, there'll be a time where people say, open up. I was there when you were teaching on our street. You spoke right right outside the window of my house. Open the door for us. But Jesus will say, I don't know you or, or where you're from. We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. I don't know where... I don't know you or where you are from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Jesus is saying physical proximity is not enough. Just being in the group is is not enough. Turning up for the events is, is not enough. He wants us to know him. He wants to know us. Jesus calls for a response. There is a time limit on this invitation We read in the passage, there will be weeping there, a gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Those are harsh words. We can't um, ignore that. We can't skate over that. Remember, he is talking primarily to those who are physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who thought that by their lineage they had a place automatically in the kingdom of God. And so this picture of this narrow and closed door of not being at the party in this feast would have been ridiculous and laughable, but then insulting and, and contemptible. There'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth, sadness on one hand, anger on the other, pain on one hand, frustration on the other, grief and indignation. How dare you? Notice how it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and who else? All the prophets in the kingdom of God They have been warned time and time again. Prophets have been sent for generations and generations, yet nothing. And Jesus is going to go again, give another chance. But these references to Jerusalem and all the prophets being killed there later on in our passage, which Ross will look at next week, will echo from this town in Jerusalem to the hill of Calvary. Jesus comes to warn and ultimately to die. And that's how he brings in The kingdom, a new kind of kingdom. Yes, there was a surprise, an unexpectedness of sorts. In some ways, it's upside down, where there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Those who are supposed to go in first will end up going in last. And those who come in last are there already. But this is, friends, the upside down kind of kingdom of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is telling us about this feast of the kingdom of God. The door is narrower than people would have expected, but the feast is wider than they could have dreamed. The door is narrow, but the feast is wide. The door closes, but the feast is open to all. We are told people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And I'm glad about that from all four directions all four corners the door is narrow and tiny but this table is ginormous that room you can't see the end of it it just goes on and on and on i thought it'd be interesting to see where people are from it's from the east and the west and the north and the south we're here in canada and let's say that this is the, 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 the northwest of the world right sorry that's the map that i've grown up with that's canada's there uh, who's the furthest from the furthest south that you call home somewhere south? Where California, okay, that's not that far south, okay. South of America, south of America, I think we've got a winner here. Perth, Western Australia, okay. That's how far south we go. We go from Vancouver to Perth, that's a long way. How far east... Do we go? If we're the furthest west, have we got anyone from Hawaii or um, or Korea, right? And Japan, and we've got for someone from China, Mr. Kwan here from China, Taiwan. Taiwan. There you go. Which one's further east, Taiwan or Japan? Japan. Japan. Okay, Japan. You you win. It's how far the table goes for us. And we are part of that. We get to be part of that because the table, the feast, is wide. That's the door in the feast. And so we get to enter in, to be part of this. That We don't need to look in from the outside. Ultimately, many of us do do that, don't we? We don't feel like we have a, a, a home or, or a place but Jesus says, as you trust in me, as you come through the narrow door, as you enter into this kingdom, this new kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, the last will be first. Those who are previously outside will, will come inside. We are the way in which Jesus has been a light to the nations. The way in which Jesus has blessed all the nations through him and what he's done for us. And We are a testimony to that, a picture of that here, in Western Canada, 2023, people from the nations, people from all over who are are, are feasting on him and trusting in him. And so Jesus is asked, will the saved be few? And in a sense, he turns it back on the person who's asking him and he says to him, will the saved be you? The person's asking, will the saved be few? And he's asking and makes it personal, will the saved uh, be you? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem in patience and love and judgment. Will you enter into that narrow door? And he's asking that of you and me as well. Will the saved be you? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. That he is the door. That the door is open to us Will we enter through him. As narrow as it might feel. At times, would we enter into the vastness of of the feast that he opens up to us? Will you enter into this kingdom? Will you put your faith in him and him alone? The door is open. The eternal feast, the ultimate celebration, the heavenly world to come, the restored earth renewed. Jesus is the door. Will you trust in him? He makes it personal. Now, of course, it's not easy, it's narrow, it's through him. He's the one who breaks down the barrier of sin and death that blocks the way to entry into God's eternal kingdom. He opens the door for us by by being like a firefighter who bursts into a home in flames to fight the fire that forced people out. Jesus defeats the fire of sin and death so that we would be able to enter in, to be welcomed in, to rest in his kingdom and in his home. And so we're told, as this questioner was told, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort. In some translations, it's uh, strive. Um, in others, uh, it's uh, the word fight. And uh, from the Greek word is where we get the word agonize. Okay. So agonize, strive, fight, strive. Uh, to enter through this narrow gate. Now, it's hard, right? There's, there's um, kind of uh, exertion that's going on here. There's effort here. And some of us will naturally think, and we're well-trained to think this, right? I thought we're not supposed to do that for salvation. Isn't salvation by, by, by faith alone and not, not, by, not by works? That, let me name this tension that, that exists um, in the Bible We can see, for example, in Ephesians, right? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Then it goes on in the following verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There are many passages like that where it says that we are saved by, by faith, not by works, but to do good works. Salvation is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. We often think that, don't we? Um, I I have thought that very much in the past, that that if we're trying to do something, well, it's obviously not God's will. If something's difficult, I'm not sure that's quite for for me. Have you noticed that all things that have meaning in our lives require effort? A distinction that's been helpful for me uh, is, is the distinguish between safety and comfort. Safety is imperative for healthy growth. When we feel unsafe um, as, as children, um, when we uh, don't have that, we have issues with, with attachment and development and all those sort of things. But many have mixed up comfort and safety to the extent that now I'm not gonna do anything that's uncomfortable, I'm not gonna do anything that, that makes me step outside of my own comfort zone. But the growth actually happens outside of the comfort zone. When things are uncomfortable, that is actually when we are able to grow, when things challenge us, when things um, uh, require effort uh, to achieve something in our own life. Effort takes us out of the comfort zone. And encourages us to look beyond ourselves and to see that it's not our doing uh, that that we are brought into this kingdom, but, but through Christ that we are. So what are we to do in the face of an unexpected kind of kingdom? Well, in one sense, we're to expect the unexpected. We have a posture, as Ross said last week, we're, we're ready for anything. It can be exciting when that happens, but it can be anxiety-inducing, right? It can be like, oh, well, what is going to happen next? How do we realise that we're not in control, that this kingdom is, is, uh, is pervasive and uncontrollable, but not freak out? That we're always um, on the edge of being anxious or, or hyper-vigilant or scared at what's going to happen next. Well, let me suggest that we can focus on what we can control. I can't control you. I can't control God's kingdom. Notice that in the Bible, um, it never says that we build God's kingdom. Have you noticed that? It never says um, that we build God's kingdom it's his kingdom we can't control it remember the yeast and the mustard seed but what do we do we pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we open our hands to it we 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 pray for it we seek it we are watchful for it we want it to come but we can't build it ourselves we are ready for it there is a posture of readiness and openness And when we do that, we are ready to to listen to him, to see the the uncomfortable things of life as opportunities to to grow, uh, to have him uh, speak into our lives and help us to to go beyond ourselves, to be able to see in the ordinary supernatural things, extraordinary things, to see in nature the supernatural things, to be able to go on walks like the disciples did with Jesus that one time, and have him uh, revealed, transfigured uh, as, as the, the, the eternal Son of, of God who was coming to, to, to restore all things, to make things new, uh, to bring his kingdom and to, to, to uh, renew uh, the earth's kingdoms. We're to make every effort to live rightly and to see rightly in light of this unexpected kind of kingdom. It's easy to get caught out by the unexpected and surprising nature of the kingdom. And so we are to make every effort to to not get caught out, not to get caught unaware, because God's kingdom might seem like a small mustard seed. It could be a little seed that is growing in in you this morning that we can write off as as insignificant or, or, or God can't do anything with this desire or this hope. Or it might be yeast that we are... Um, unaware of of the impact in in the world around us in our our apartment block or at work or or in our class Uh, there are ways in which we can um, begin to allow his kingdom, this unexpected, uh, uncontrollable surprising kingdom work in us and through us and for him so where is our trust? Where is our effort? Uh, where are we longing uh, for God to see work um, in our lives? What does it look like for us to, to have that effort, to build that, to grow in that? Not so that we burn out, not so that we earn our way to him, but as a way to, to, to strive for it, to, to agonize over um, seeing God's kingdom come in our world and, and in our lives. Let me give a lighthearted um example of, of the, some of the effort this week for me, I've been um, in the process of buying a bike. So I've been on Craigslist, uh, Marketplace, bike websites, I've visited a couple of bike shops, I've tested three different bikes, uh, I've made a few offers, got rejected, um, I'm deciding between a new one or a secondhand one that's a bit cheaper but not much cheaper. I woke up at night uh, but couldn't get back to sleep as soon as I started pondering whether to get rim brakes or disc brakes. I was agonizing over a decision, right? What would it look like for me to agonize over God's kingdom with that kind of effort, right? To see that at work, to be um, having that diligence and care. And that's not to say that that getting a bike is bad, obviously, right? But in what ways can we strive, can we um, make every effort to see God's kingdom manifest in our lives? and in the lives of those around us. What has been your effort this week? Looking back, where has your effort gone? That's not a judgment thing. It's an invitation. Jesus wants to know us. He doesn't just want us to be in the the building. Have we been able to talk to him about these sort of things? His heart is for you. He wants you to know that your heart is safe with him and we can trust his heart. That's how you get in the narrow door, is trusting him. He's the door, he's the welcome, he's the entrance. Whoever enters through him will be saved.